Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the Tower of Babel as we pick up in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. The whole earth was of one language, one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said one to another, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. Now, this is an interesting thing because it shows that very early after the flood, they had brick kilns, and rather than just building their houses out of rocks. Uh, They were advanced to the state of of making bricks and putting them in the kiln, burning them thoroughly. So rather than just adobe kind of buildings, they were now using a mortar with a cured brick or a burned brick. And uh, they began to build, uh, of course, the city of Nineveh, the city of Babylon, all began to be built in this period by Nimrod himself. And so they said, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now God's command was to actually fill the earth. It's an attempt to uh, sort of countermand God's commandment. Lest we be scattered abroad throughout all the earth. Let's let's join together. Let's just, you know, congregate in this area. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Now, again, we're describing the activities of God in human terms as though God were coming down and looking things over. In, In reality, God is omnipresent. He was watching the thing the whole while. The Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they all have one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. The developing of this religious system. Now, it is very possible that originally God placed the stars in the heavens for signs, and that the gospel is actually given in the zodiac, the virgin, the lion. But as Satan has always taken the things of God and twisted them and perverted them, so from the original message that God had placed there in the heavens, of his plan for the ages, that there was that perversion of it into what is the modern astrology, which began way back again in the Babylonian era, here in in Babel, where they were going to build this tower as an observatory to observe the constellations and so forth of the sky. But it is quite possible that originally the gospel was there indeed 
in the stars as far as the message of God to man. Now, it would seem that the Magi who came from the east to find the Christ child were reading correctly the heavens. We have seen his star in the east. We've come to worship him. And that they were reading truly the signs that God had placed there. Now, the Bible says that God has placed the stars for signs and for seasons. And it is very possible that originally there was indeed the message of God in the stars but has been perverted, as I say, into the modern astrology and the perversion began way back there where they began to look at the stars for the influence over their lives rather than looking to God. And so God in his word puts down the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators, those who sought then to govern their lives by the influence of the stars upon them and so forth. And, and God really speaks out very heavily against that in the prophecy of Isaiah, but it is an ancient, ancient thing, the horoscopes and all. But as with so many things, it is possible that in the beginning it was pure and had a true message of God, but it has been perverted as time has gone on. And so God, seeing this development, said, let us go down and confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, or Babel, whichever pronunciation you prefer. It really is a word that just sort of, it was a word that was adapted because of what the sound sounded like, just like the word barbarian is a word that was developed by the Greeks, and, and the word barbarian in Greek literally, literally is barbar. And anybody who didn't speak Greek was a barbar because your language sounded so funny. So anybody who didn't speak Greek, they just considered them uncultured and said, oh, they're a barbar. You know, it just means that they talk some other language rather than the culture Greek. And, and so from that we get the word barbarian, but it, it originally was just a, you know, just a sound that they made, uh, an unintelligible sound by which they were sort of mimicking any language other than Greek, it's barbar. Oh, he's a barbar. And uh, so this babel is the same thing. It's a mimicking of a sound that was not understood. Babel. Just, it's somewhat like the barbar, babel. And it's just an, uh, you know, I don't understand what you're saying. Uh, you, what do you mean baba, you know, or babel? <laughs> and uh, so the word has come to mean confusion, lack of understanding. And so they called the name of the place Babel because the Lord did there confound or confuse the languages of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And so at this point, the people who were speaking, and of course this was a tremendous miracle indeed, the development of all of these languages now, the interesting thing about languages is that 
many times we think that the English language, because we grew up with it, you know, is such an excellent language in communicating ideas. And we think, you know, people who are living in, say, primitive cultures, in Stone Age cultures, surely they must have a primitive form of language. Ours must surely be a highly cultured form of language, the English language. And, and they must have very primitive language. But it is an interesting thing that many of the primitive cultures have the most complex languages. Highly complex languages, much more so than English. And thus there is great difficulty in translating into many of these languages of primitive people. You think, oh, it would be easy to translate. You know, the man went to church. But some of these primitive cultures have so many words for man. So you'd have to know if the man was one that you knew well or you knew slightly. Because they have one word for man that you know well and another one for a man that you know slightly. Then they'd have to know whether you liked the man or not. And then you'd have to know whether or not you respected him. And actually they have maybe 20 different words for man. So you'd have to know all kinds of things about this man before you'd know which word would fit the text or the translation. Now the word he went. Did he go once in his life? Or did he go occasionally? Was it something that he was accustomed to doing or something that was rare for him to do? And, and so even in the verb, you have so many different words that would describe it that you get into the translating and really you want to throw up your hands and quit because these languages are so many times so much more complex. I have a friend who was translating the Gospel of Mark into the Choco dialect in Panama. And he came to the place where he was working with his translating helper, and he came to the place where Jesus spit on the ground and, and made mud and put it in the blind man's eye and told him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash it out. So in translating this word spit, the native said, but how did he spit? You know, there's many different ways to spit. Well, we only have one English word. But the Choco Indian has so many different words. You have a different way of spitting. And he didn't, and of course, how do you know which word it is? You know, we don't know what word it is. And because, you know, they, they have so many different words. He said, well, he said, did he... <coughs> Did he and spit? <laughs> or did he pick up the did he pick up the dirt in his hand and just spit and mix it up? Or did he spit on the ground and mix it up? Or did he put the dirt in his eye and spit in his eye and mix it up? And he would have a different word for each action. Well, we don't know what Jesus did. 
But this development of language. Now, it is interesting that man has in any and every culture, no matter how primitive, highly complex method of communicating of ideas. And I don't care how primitive or ignorant that particular culture may be, their languages are highly developed in the ability to communicate their ideas, whether they do it through grunts, through a sing-song or whatever, they are able to communicate their ideas no matter how primitive their culture. This certainly is something that separates man from the animal kingdom. There is nothing in the animal kingdom that even approximates a complex form of communication of ideas. But yet in the most primitive culture of man and in every culture of man, there is a language communication. So this was the beginning of the separation of languages. Now after the separation into the basic language groups, there of course have become modifications even within the same language or generalized language. We find the Romance languages and similarities between the Spanish and the Portuguese and the Italian and the French. We find that there is certain similarities between the German and, and Scandinavian. We find that English is a language that has borrowed much from Latin and from Greek. So there have been developed languages from the basic language systems. But God divided their languages and instantly they no doubt got together in groups that they could communicate to. The family groups and so forth where they could communicate to each other but it caused the division and the separation and that spreading out then into the world and scattering abroad upon the face of the earth that is described. Now, we're going to zero in down to Abraham because that's where our story must move. So these are the generations of Shem, getting now again a repetition of the generations of Shem, but moving definitely just down towards Abraham. He was 100 years old, and he begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. He lived after he begat Arphaxad 500 years, and he begat sons and daughters. So he lived to be about 600 years old, approximately. Arphaxad lived five, 35 years, begat Salah, and we get, uh, he begat Eber, and we follow uh, down to Abraham, and actually that's the one where we're coming to. So let's go on to verse 26. Terah lived 70 years and he begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now whether or not this is the order in which they were born, we do not know. Whether or not, you know, how old was Terah when Abraham was born, we do not know. Maybe he was the third son. Uh, we have no way of knowing. But he lived 70 years and he had these three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now he lived after that for many years also. Now these are the generations of Terah. 
Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of the nativity in the earth of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. So their brother Haran died early, having married and born one son, Lot. He actually bore some daughters too. Uh, and they took wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, for she was also the daughter of Haran. So he married his niece. And the father of Milcah and the father of Iscah. But Sarah was barren, and she had no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran. So with Haran dead... Lot being his son, Abram sort of adopted Lot because Abram didn't have any sons of his own. So he sort of adopted Lot and Lot became a uh, journeyer with Abram. But they all together went from the Ur of the Chaldees. Now it was in the Ur of the Chaldees in this area where this false religious systems, be pantheism and polytheism and all, began to develop and the perverted religious systems and so they left the Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. Now, the fact that they all left to go to Canaan means that in the beginning it could be that Abraham's father also received a call of God to leave and get out of this area that had begun to become religiously polluted and to come into a whole new area. But Terah... Uh, they came as far as Haran, and there they dwelt. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, there is a seeming contradiction of Scripture here. When you get into the New Testament, and Stephen is uh, talking about Abraham being called of God to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and to go to uh, Israel, how that after he said Terah died, Abraham then went on to Canaan. But when you start putting the ages together, you find that Abraham actually left, if, if, if Terah lived to be uh, 205 years old and he was seven years old when Abraham was born, then, and Abraham was 75 when he left, the 75 and the 70 makes 145 years, and yet he lived to be 205 years old, so you have a discrepancy in mathematics here. So what is the solution, or what is the answer? There are a couple possible suggestions. Number one, Abraham may not have been the firstborn son. They may not be listed in the order of their births, but in the order of the precedence of their sons. And Abraham could have been born many years after, in other words, 70 years, and maybe Haram was born when he was 70 years old, and it doesn't give his age at the time of Abraham's birth. That's one possibility. So that Abraham was sort of a late child, and that indeed... Uh, by the time he was 75, his father was 205 years old. It's very possible. Another possibility is that Stephen is talking in sort of a spiritual sense. 
that he died. You remember one day a young fellow came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you, but allow me first to go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me. Now, they let me first bury my father was a common term. It didn't mean that his father was dead. It isn't that Jesus is showing a disrespect or a father who had died. But it is a term whereby a person was saying, I don't want to do it now. I want to wait until my father dies. It's just a, a term of procrastination or putting something off until later. In other words, I want to do it later. Wait till my father dies. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 11 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and keep you in His love and grace. May the Lord watch over you, and may you be filled with His Spirit and walk in the strength and in the power of the Spirit of God as He anoints you day by day. May you be enabled by Him, and may you enter into that fullness that He has for you, walking with the Lord, loving the Lord, listening to the Lord, alert unto the Lord in these last days when the world around you is walking in its drunken stupor. May your mind and heart be clear, sensitive to God and to the things of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Undoubtedly, one of the most glaring signs that our society is in trouble is the breakdown of the family unit. Marriages just aren't making it today, and kids are suffering as they watch the breakup of their homes. Those marriages still holding together are often plagued by conflict and turmoil, making the home a battleground instead of a refuge. That's why The Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's Marriage and Family MP3, 
where Pastor Chuck discusses basic biblical principles to keep a family's love alive. Each member of the family has a different set of needs and responsibilities. And when you know and apply God's principles, everyone in the family can experience real peace, real joy, and an agape love. To order your copy of the Marriage and Family MP3 by Chuck Smith, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.